It's, it's very confusing, right? I mean, I'm... Well, in the Mahabharata, there are, um, there's a number of things going on. Um, it's, um, in one sense, largely a book about the moral life, uh, the dharma, religious life, um, and uh, at the same time, of course, the central piece, in one sense, of the Mahabharata is the Bhagavad Gita, and uh, the story is full of intrigue, political intrigue, uh, romance, um, it's a soap opera. Um, and uh, and it's building up, the story's building up to the point where uh, there's going to be a world war, basically. And so the audience is listening and developing uh, feelings towards different characters and so on and so forth who are uh, vividly described there. And, uh, and, and, and thus the author is able to kind of really capture the attention and emotions of the readers through the description of the characters, through the nature of the narrative, which is just like, uh, you know, uh, happens in everyday life, uh, and, but on a, you know, on a big scale. There's going to be a, a war, and there's, as I say, political intrigue, and marital intrigue and, uh, and relationships and so on and so forth. And so we get to the point where there's, is there going to be a war or is there not going to be a war? Maybe this is going to be negotiated and, and so forth. And, and so you keep turning, you know, on the internet every day, what's going to happen? Is there going to be a war or not? You know, what's the latest, you know? And various talking heads are giving their opinions and so forth. So it's like that. Um, the the book, and of course, uh, so uh, it comes to the point where there there is going to be a war. It's unavoidable, and you're just ready for the the war, and you've all been you, uh, everyone's on the edge of their seats, so to speak. And then the preface to the war is the Bhagavad Gita, which is how to end all wars, hmm? how to end the war. That uh, that the, your ego, your material identification is perpetuating, um, whether you know it or not. We're constantly at war in a world war. The world is at at war. <laughs> in other words, one living being is seen from a materialistic ego perspective as food for another. One's person's feast is another person's. Funeral. That's the world. Hmm? Um, and so, yes, there is an overt war that's been building up, as I said, and now it's about to happen, but in the context of, um, well, our, our June's decision to participate in it or not. Again, Krishna speaks about a deeper idea of um, of the world, even in overt peace. He says it's at war. 
Because again, one living being is is food for another. Hmm? As I said many times, if you try to, as I had the experience, if you try to free a fly caught in a spider's web, and as I reached for the fly, here came the spider. So you want to free the fly, but you make the spider starve to death. Hmm? So what do you do? How do you resolve it? That is, what do they call it? Whack-a-mole. whack <laughs> I just heard that. You press down here, it comes up over here. This is the world, the moral life. It, the, the, the moral law is, is only the moral truth. To be truthful, to be good, if you will, from a moral perspective, is... Uh, is it's only possible to be so in a, in a shadow-like way because however good you are, there's some bad bad to it, some downside to it. Exactly. Therefore, the whole story of Bhagavad, well, Bhagavad Gita, for example, uh, Krishna explains that if you become a Brahma, who is thought to be the person who was morally perfect in terms of the scriptural prescriptions, uh, uh, scriptural uh, prescribed uh, duties for a hundred lifetimes, you take birth as a Brahma. You couldn't be more moral, morally correct, hmm, than than the Brahma is the idea. But what does Krishna say about the Brahma and those who attain his planet who are similarly morally correct? He says, A-Brahma-Bhuvanā-Loka Punāra-Vartino-Arjuna he says, everybody has to die there. And, and that means they have to come down. They attained a high position. They exhausted the results of their pious acts. And now it's over. They have to come down to earth and up and down. So this is the moral life, up and down. And he distinguishes his own abode in that same verse but my abode is different because punarjanmana. From there, one doesn't have to take birth again. Hmm? So, a different world. Hmm? And everybody in this world is on this roller coaster. And although good people seek to be morally correct, ethically sound, as they should be, and so forth, they um, lose uh, 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 sight of a higher ideal of the good, the capital G good, that can actually be attained by spiritual uh, practice rather than by being religious and morally and politically, whatever, correct. Um, so, uh, it's a, it's a, uh, the difference, what I'm highlighting is the difference between a religious and ethically sound orientation to life in pursuit of the good as opposed to a spiritual, experiential um, orientation to life in pursuit of the good wherein it can actually be attained. 
and it and and that good is such to just to bring home the point of the impossibility of the perfect of 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 the of the capital G good in a world where again one living being is is food for another that's the norm here um the to bring home that point in another way the world with the cha- capital G good Krishna's world how is it depicted it's obviously turning the moral on its head hmm? and in in the in the Mahab, in the Mahabharat, Krishna's a liar. In the Bhagavatam, Krishna is a um, is a paramour, hmm? parakya lover. Hmm? That's like what? So these depictions of the leela, hmm? descriptions of the leela, this is one of the points that they're trying to bring bring home. Hmm? That the moral good, be, this is a huge um, uh, aspect of the Bhagavatam, for example, uh, the, which is the kind of the sequel to the Gita, which is the essence of the Mahabharata. Um, th- that being that the moral life, the Dharma, is really as good as it might sound, as much as there are scriptural texts advocating and so forth, from the larger, viewed from the larger picture, it is Shrama-e-Hikevalam, a waste of time. Hmm? That's a very heavy statement. Hmm? Krishna says it at the end of the Gita. He says, give up religion if you want to know me. Give up religion. Hmm? That's not, you're not going to find me within the moral realm. You're not going to find happiness, fulfillment, perfection within the moral realm. Indeed, my realm turns the moral realm on its head, hmm? upside down even. Hmm? What you thought was perfectly good hmm? or was was desirable to attain the perfect good um it mildly shows that uh, we can do the opposite and be and be perfect and and attain a perfection that that material moral perfection doesn't uh, come close to hmm? uh so bad karma good karma it's all bad is the idea hmm? it's all about taking Karma is, is, is the reaction, the result of our taking from the environment which our material identification uh, kind of forces us to do because we've, when we identify with matter which is inert, hmm, unconscious, has no capacity to love, or reciprocate, or, then we feel empty. Hmm? And so we, we think that by adding on, maybe that'll solve the problem. But we're just adding on more of the of the same and and it's only an appearance of adding on because you can't keep anything. Hmm? So so uh, uh, 
the material life is however however well we nicely we try to make it so to speak it's it's what it is it's a place of birth and death it's a place of takers rather than lovers and we are all takers somebody asked me some time ago not not too long ago in a class a visitor um and i was speaking along these lines and he said well, what about you know what about the big corporations and all these you know multinational companies and the one world you know government you know ideas and things like that and they're all they're, what about they're doing this and they're doing that and, and 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 i said who i said to him who who is the who are they who are they because they use the term they they this they that who are they hmm? and um and i said to him what you have to understand is you are they you are they you are you are doing the same thing in your own realm, hmm? you take a herd of cows, and if you find an, a herd of cows and you see one cow is the smallest, and you think she's always being abused, hmm? because everyone's pushing her out of the way, she has to wait till everybody's done and then get whatever remnants are there because she doesn't have the fortitude, the strength, the power to push her way in, and so forth. So, for human, from a human perspective, we look and we feel sorry for the little cow. Hmm? So if we take the little cow out and put her in a, in, a, in another herd hmm, where she's bigger, then she's going to find a little cow and push her out of the way. <laughs> and we look, you know, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to do that. This is the human sensibility. You're not supposed to do that. Uh, uh, that's the norm. But we sense in human society it shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be like that. So we try to adjust it and make it right. And, and so what, what, this, what this effort in human society is about is the self, the atma, the soul, consciousness that we're a unit of rising to the fore as it does in human life, inquiring about itself, presenting itself to us in a way that, it, that, that our self did not present itself to us when we were a cow, when we were a bird, when we were a tree. Hmm? Hmm? According to the different body we have, then the, the self, the higher self, is either facilitated to come out or it's, 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 it's covered over. Hmm? It's the same self, equal, all atmas, all souls are equal, but their vehicles are different. Hmm? So... If you drive a Volkswagen, I drive a BMW. I mean, we can both put our foot on the gas completely, but I'm going to go uh, faster than you are. Hmm? So the human body is a particular um, evolutionary, if you will, uh, body hmm? in which, from the Vedic point of view, the point of view of Vedanta, the self, the atma, the consciousness that's moving through different forms of life. Hmm? Why does it move? What's this movement about? What's really happening is the world is moving mm -hmm. around. Hmm? It's not a geocentric world. It's not a heliocentric world. It's an atmocentric world. The world is moving around consciousness. Now, you touched on this in your question, <laughs> hmm? that the world is moving around an observer. One point I want to add to what you said... 
not only is it an observer, hmm? it's an observer, but it's also a desirer. Hmm? First of all, it's an observer, it's a witness. Now, as we know, some things only happen because somebody's watching. Right? So, in one sense, without the observer, the world isn't happening. It doesn't mean the world isn't there. It's not a purely idealistic perspective. It is there, but what will happen in it hmm, is dependent upon on the observer. Hmm? And, and the observer is, is a witness, but it's also a doer, an agent of action by the force of its desire. Hmm? So, as it desires, then the world responds accordingly. And, in that regard, there is a higher order as well. We are a unit of consciousness, the God it is, the reservoir of consciousness. So we have, uh, we are an agent of action, a doer. It means we have will, desire. But we're not independent in willing such that whatever we will will happen. If a farmer wants to grow wheat, then he or she is going to plant seeds and till the field and do everything necessary to grow a nice crop. But if it doesn't rain, and the sun doesn't come out, there's no wheat. Hmm? So, we can see that practically, we are dependent upon some cooperation on the part of nature in relation to our desires for them to be fulfilled. Now, we can fight against that, hmm? And, for example, using my example, try to, you know, seed the, seed the clouds through technology so it'll rain, you know. And it, we can try like this in so many ways, and we may do things that we thought we couldn't do, uh, accomplish by these efforts to control nature, hmm? to manipulate nature, to be God. I mean, the controller. The word in the, in, the, in the Vedanta used for God is Ishwar, the controller. So, you know, you can't, be, you can't become an atheist and do away with God. <laughs> it's not happening. Hmm? You become the controller then. Hmm? You become the de- one who determines your own destiny and so forth. And then, you know, if you take the athe- an atheistic philosophy uh, fortified by... Uh, scientific uh, conjectures or, or, or interpretations of scientific facts and observations, you interpret from an atheistic perspective, um, and then you have this idea that you can manipulate nature and, and become immortal. Hmm? That's what the wealthy people just south of us are you know, said to be spending all their money on. Hmm? Immortality in Silicon Valley. <laughs> Uh, so, <laughs> you know, it's, it, 
we're we're interested in the same thing. You know, or, you, know, you look at which one is which strategy is more you know well thought out. Hmm? Hmm? You're going to freeze your body, or going to you know they have pills for what is it for to slow down aging and so forth and so on. Um, but I mean to stop death. That's I mean. How are you going to stop somebody from slipping on a banana peel and, you know, and cracking his head open, right? <laughs> so it's a pretty big, pretty big task. You can, you can convince yourself to one extent or another, hey, the, the lifespan is increasing. We're, we're making it. We're doing it. People used to believe in God and they had shorter lives. <laughs> so now we don't believe in God. We're increasing the life and we're, we're getting there, you know. Well, it's just, it's, it's as funny as it just was, you know, it's, it's, it's a joke. Um, uh, if you, if you look, if you look at it like this, everyone wants to be perfectly happy forever. Hmm? I mean, that's just basically what we're pursuing in life through one uh, action or, or, or plan or another. Hmm? And so who's got a better plan is the question to, to accomplish that. Um, at least we've got a plan that in theory you can realize that and it takes into consideration the impossibility of doing so otherwise, which is fairly apparent. I mean, it's pretty apparent that it's impossible to figure out and manipulate the world in such a way as to end death when you don't even know but a, a, a fraction, about a fraction of the world, hmm? right? I mean, we live on one planet in one galaxy, you know, about, and there's what, what they, they observed, what they call 500 million, you know, galaxies or whatever. I mean, come on, it's like, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, 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 uh, a very questionable uh, idea. Hmm? And our idea is, well, at least accept, it, it acknowledges the impossibility of the odds against that are considerable. So here's another alternative. Why not think outside of the box, the Vedanta says? Hmm? The box of your head, hmm? which is really a small box. Hmm? Why not think, come outside of your head? Hmm? Krishna says in the Gita that we see things through the lens of our senses and make determinations about those perceptions by, by our manas, by our mind. Hmm? And we get sensations and we, we make a decision, that's good, that's bad, that's happy, that's sad, that's hot, that's cold, and we create a world in the box of our head where we live, and it's so it's totally an illusion, even from a scientific point of view. What what uh, what that what reality is? And we live in that little box, we call it a sacred box. It's my box, uh, and so forth. So, but what has it do to to do with reality? In your box, it's cold. In mine, it's hot. And we're, we're living in the same, you know, geographical <laughs> uh, space here. Uh, so, which is it? Obviously, our, each of our readings is is are, neither is comprehensive. It's not really weighing in on the nature of being 
and reality and so forth. So, uh, so to go out of the box means that's what ecstasy means. I don't mean the drug, but that's an attempt for the same thing, to get outside of the box, to get beyond the limits of my senses. That's the meaning of ecstasy, beyond the senses. Which are which are limited, and that we feel that in human society, that the senses are limited. We don't find in the animal society that the animals are trying to move beyond their animality. They there are certain parameters in which they live. I'm a tiger. I live like this. I eat like this. It's all figured out. Hmm? I'm a cow. I live like this. I'm a bird. I live like that. Birds don't try to become cows. Cows don't try to become birds. Human beings trying to try and become everything, right? We try to, as I say, we try to fly high in the sky like an eagle. We try to go to the bottom of the ocean like a, a dolphin or what? You know, it, 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 it's weird. Why are we doing that? Because from the Vedanta point of view, the Atma, the self, that is not restricted, hmm, ultimately, only in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a provisional sense is it restricted from expressing itself through different forms of life, but, but it doesn't die when the body dies. Hmm? It gets another body, hmm? it gets a human body, and it's, that body is partic- particularly as a special body because the self is coming to the fore and it's starting to feel its, itself, so to speak, and it knows it has no, it, it senses it has no limitations. Hmm? So it can't settle for the human for the limitations of the human um, society uh, or uh, human abilities and so forth. And we try to extend them and be be more. That's what humans are doing. We 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 explain it as as such. Hmm? And why I was saying we're changing bodies. Hmm? The world is going around the self. It's observing and it's desiring. Hmm? It can't a desire and have all its desires fulfilled because it's only a spark of consciousness and the power consciousness source is the ultimate determining will. Hmm? So we say, I have a will and it will be fulfilled or not, dependent upon the higher will sanctioning or not sanctioning. Hmm? So, in my example of the farmer, then the rain here is, is God. Hmm? So, there's a form of God, we call the Mahavishnu, for example, the Paramatma, that presides over material nature and, and witnesses our, our witnessing and our desiring and sanctions that material nature will reciprocate in this way, respond in this way or that way, in terms of how we are interacting with with nature, hmm? so we're observer, yes, but we have some will, hmm? and then there's the superior will. So it's sometimes it's said, "Not a blade of grass moves without the will of God." So does, does that mean that, hey, what can we do? <laughs> God's doing everything. When we were living here years ago, before the temple was built, when you were here by. And I took you and I said, remember, see that over there? We're going to build a temple over there, remember? <laughs> Believe me. Uh, so <laughs> we were building the bathhouse and we were going to have our first little festival because I thought, well, we've got to have a place for people to bathe, etc. 
you know, to invite them up here. We were living in tents, and we were also bathing with a little thing, a bag, you know, of water uh, hung on a tree, and um, evacuating in the woods and so forth. But I think it would be too comfortable of a proposal to invite the city dwellers, you know, to live as austerely as we were. So we were building a bathhouse, first and foremost uh, thing. And I thought if we get that done, we can invite some people up. So anyway, the date, I think it was a janmastomy. Maybe our first janmastomy here was approaching. And the guy that was building the bathhouse for us was going a little slow, you know. And I said, um, you know, like, I wanted, you know, you know, you know, we got, you know, three weeks. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, no problem. You know, so... I'm watching it, you know, it's like, okay, it's like, we got two weeks, you know. But he made me feel like he's one of those contractors, like, hey, I know what I'm doing, okay? You know, the kind you don't want to hire. It's like, uh, he's not (laughs) there to do what you want exactly, uh, you know. So I said, you know, it's two weeks. He says, hey, man, I told you, you know, we'll get it done. Don't worry, we'll get it done. Okay, it doesn't look to me like you're going to get it done. (laughs) And so then, then, then one week, you know, I realized three days, it's, it's not absolutely, after three days, I said, what's happening here? You know, it's not, you know, going to be done. He said, hey, look, this is a spiritual place, right? I said, yeah. He said, well, the way I look at it is if it's going to get done, it's going to get done. <laughs> right? We're not in control, Swami. <laughs> <laughs> I held my tongue from saying, well, we'll see how the paycheck works out, too. (laughs) If it's going to happen, I guess it'll happen. (laughs) Don't count on feeding your family on that, (laughs) with that philosophy. (laughs) So, yes, not a blade of grass moves without will of God. That's true. But we have a will also. Hmm? That means that our will is dependent upon his will. Hmm? So he may sanction, may not sanction, hmm? or allow material nature to sanction or not sanction. Hmm? Um, So uh, we're a factor hmm? in what happens. We are an agent of action. And if we were not so, then the scriptures would say, do this and don't do that, would have absolutely no meaning. We'd have no choice in the matter. If we weren't an agent of action, if we didn't have any will, then what would be the meaning of saying you should do this and you shouldn't do that? <laughs> right? So it's an important uh, point uh, that uh, we are agents of action. And we desire. Hmm? And and as we desire, then the world is, is moving uh, you know, around that accordingly. And and so, if we desire in relation to the world, then we're going to stay within the jurisdiction of the world. So that's what I mean by an atma-centric world. So, uh, so we're staying in one place, and the world's moving around us. As long as you have material desires, then the... The nature of the material world is that what it, it, it's magical. It, it, seeds turn into trees. Holy cow. There's a tree inside of a seed. And the seed, the tree turns, it bears fruits, has seeds, 
makes many trees, and and everything's transforming, is my point. And in, radically, I mean, the difference between here's a seed. If you tell a kid, you know, if a, a child says, uh, a, a "Dad, um, I'd like an I'd like an apple," and so you give him an apple, say, so "Here you go." He says, "What are you talking about? <laughs> I asked for an apple. You give me a seed. You give me this little little thing here. What what?" What's that? You know, put it in the ground. He says, "I asked for an apple. You, you give me a little tiny thing and tell me to put it in the ground." No, yeah, put water on it, put sun on it. Come back in a few years and you'll have an apple. You know, as, as so the, the difference apparently between a seed and an apple is 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 extraordinary. Just to emphasize the point, the extent to which the world is constantly transforming, right? Everything's constantly in flux and transforming. And there's one thing that's remaining constant, and that's the observing factor of the ever-changing material phenomenon. Hmm? And so the body is one form of matter's transformation. It's a transformation that corresponds in some way with the desires of the self. Hmm? And it, like all manifestations of matter, it has a duration. At a certain point, it's going to. It, the fact that nature is in transformation hmm, is going to become more apparent to you. Hmm? Hmm? It's apparent to other observers, <laughs> but after a while, it starts to become apparent to you. You, you start to, you know, I'm breaking down here, you know. Uh, as uh, so forth, so, so, but, but it's just something that's constantly going on. Hmm? We look at our bodily life as some separate thing from the world, or, but it's just part of it's just the, the nature of the realm. Hmm? And so, as long as your desires rem- are, are in relation to the world, then the world's going to keep forming around you, around those desires. Hmm? Even you can see that yourself, if you, if you, with good association, you have certain desires, you want to change your life, your body will start to change, right? Change your association and thereby your habits and so forth. So, so here we are. It's an atmocentric world. The world's moving around the self. Hmm? And it, uh, and and so the whole idea is then what to give the self good association, good insight into what it is, what its prospect is, and so forth, and how to attain the capital G good that you are a unit of. Hmm? You know, we're trying to be good, right, politically correct, ethically sound, and so forth in this world, and that's a good idea. But as much as we think that is what constitutes the capital G good, it is so bad that it is at the loss of any insight into the self, which is a unit of the capital G good. Hmm? One unit of that, attaining that, makes the whole world of the small G good, the moral realm, look bad, however good it is. That's what Krishna is saying in the Gita. Hmm? You understand? Hmm? What? Just the you, your tiny atomic uh, consciousness self. Hmm? 
realizing that does more good and is more good and is the capital G good hmm, in comparison to the the moral realm and however good one could be. That's not a reason for not being good in the world. It's just you need to put the two together. Indeed, being good in the world from a worldly point of view has something to do with attaining the ultimate good. Hmm? So there are ways to act in the world that are better than others that will serve to foster realization of of the self. And ultimately, realization of the self, as I speak about it, means realization of the self in relation to its its source. Mm -hmm. So, full realization of the self must be um, that which is derived from from ananya bhakti, full bhakti, pure bhakti. Mm -hmm. Because that will draw out that will that that influence will draw on every aspect of the self, hmm? just like the world draws on every aspect of the self and creates a a, a fictitious kind of person hmm? who we think is a full <laughs> we think it's good to be a full person i mean it is <laughs> humanly psychologically, and so on and so forth hmm? but what we find in the Leela is partial people. From our perspective, they're partial people. Chandravali, Radharani's competitor, for example, chief competitor in Vrindavan, she is like one personification of one emotional aspect of Radha. And another gopi is another emotional aspect. Another gopi, another... They're like partial people. You understand? If we look at Chandravali, we think, she needs a little bit of, you know, counseling. <laughs> to develop out, you know, she should respond differently to Krishna at different times. That's not, you know, she shouldn't take that from him, you know, or something like that. She's a partial person. But these partial people are more people than our whole people are, fully balanced psychologically, and that's a good thing and whatnot, but, hmm? But where does it end? And it ends. That's where it ends. <laughs> that's the point. It ends. Hmm? It ends. Mm. And it ends, unfortunately, in most cases, at the cost of knowing the self. Now, there's a way to to bring the two together, of course. That, that That's beautiful, because the spiritual perspective, uh, unlike the moral perspective unto itself, or the psychological, let's say, good unto itself, hmm, the spiritual good takes into consideration the psychological good, the moral good, the ethical good. Hmm? It sees it as a shadow of, it, of itself, the ultimate good. Hmm? And therefore, it, it, it does speak about a way to act in the world, how to be whole. What is sattva, for example? Sattva is a material influence. It's advocated. Hmm? It's, it's, the, it's the influence of nature that brings about balance. Hmm? That's what human psychology about it, being a balanced person and so forth. Being a balanced person in the world in the context of pursuing otherworldliness, which you're a unit of. You're not part of the bad, which is, again, even the good is bad. You're not part of it. We're not matter. We matter. 
And matter only matters if it matters to us. It's, it's inert. So, so the good, and Leela portrays the good in a way that even may look psychologically bad or morally bad, ethically bad. It's depicted like that for a purpose in one sense. To emphasize the problem with the material perfection, which is like an oxymoron. There is no perfection within... If perfection is to live forever, as people seem to like would like to do, that's what they're working for, if it, then it's not happening in, in this realm. So again, want to think outside of the box, Vedanta says. You've looked at it for eons in a particular way. You fought as a tiger, as an elephant, as an insect, as a bird. You've tried it flying, as a fish. You've tried it swimming. Stop breathing and <laughs> live underwater. Try it like that. Hmm? In so many ways, we tried to live forever. Hmm? I mean, that's what everybody's striving for, the, the Darwinian struggle to exist. Adapt! Hmm? Grow! Add some fins, add some wings, hmm? and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. To live forever. Hmm? Yeah. The, 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 the eternal pursuit of the fountain of youth. And the Vedanta says, stop looking out there. It's inside. It's you. Hmm? You are a unit of that. And go now go about it in, in a different in a reverse way. Hmm? Rather than trying to conquer and control and exploit and in this way, step back and have gratitude for nature. Recognize your dependence on nature rather than trying to control her. And then you go move a little easier in the world, like, okay. Uh, uh, somebody was telling me the other day that they said that um uh, I was talking with a, an, an Indian man. I can't remember exactly, but he said something about technology moving, this and that. And, and, and he said, yeah, it's all good. He said, but, you know, if you don't have enough time to take a little rest after, after lunch, then what's life, life, life's not worth living? <laughs> <laughs> Tranquilo, they say, you know, in Costa Rica. Tranquilo, yeah, yeah, it'll happen, you know, in due course. If it's, you know. Take it easy. Yeah, it's uh, so. <laughs> this uh, stepping back a little bit, and 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 in Hinduism, to revere nature. Hmm? It's not to conquer nature or, or to dismiss nature, but, but but to revere nature, and recognize, acknowledge our dependence on nature for accomplishing anything. In order to see, we need light. Light comes from sun, so we worship the sun. We we show regard. This type of gratitude, uh, if you will, is the beginning of love. And as I say, uh, if you love someone, they'll tell you all their secrets. So nature will show you the secret. The secret of nature is what? That I have a soul, and it's you. Hmm? In human form of life, it can be known. Hmm? And wow, that is a secret. That is a whole entirely different bag of knowledge, uh, tricks. Hmm? It's like, whoa. Hmm? Very, very different 
idea. And so that now, now to approach it, it, it will move, as I say, in a different way. But my point is that the, this spiritual perspective of Vedanta, it takes into consideration the idea that one should be psychologically balanced, that one should be morally and ethically sound, and so on and so forth. Hmm? But it, it has a, 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 a rudder, a rudder to it, uh, that for a higher purpose, for a higher purpose. Hmm? Hmm. Not unto itself. Unto itself, it's fraught with frustration. Hmm. Hmm. It's a total. It's a, the whole world's a compromise. Who are you going to vote for? You know, you, you have to pick and choose. I mean, I see your posts about Donald Trump, and I appreciate them. But <laughs> I'm going to laugh out of that. But, uh, but, I mean, you know. <laughs> It's a compromise. It doesn't matter hmm, who it is. It's going to be compromised for, in some respect, for everybody. Hmm, right? It's a totally flawed uh, picture. Hmm? And so the Leela is painting another, another picture. It's as if Krishna was painting the Leela and then there was this other canvas over here that he needed to change color, so he went like that, you know. And then went, that's the world over here. <laughs> But it's so far out. <laughs> but but what's the Leela like? Hmm? And this is a very beautiful idea of Gaudiya Vedanta, that the world, as much as we speak about you, the world is problematic, it's flawed, this, that, and everything, still, when we look at it from the perspective of Gaudiya Vedanta, it has such beauty, meaning, and value. We see it as derived. It is derived from the Leela. Hmm? It's a derivative. Hmm? So there's, there's, there's value in it because it tells us something about that world. Hmm? It's not just a symbol, like a flag is a symbol of the nation. You see the flag and you think, America, what it's about... And I worship the flag, you know, and and so forth. You know, if you're that type, uh, and, and and it it gives you these emotions and so forth, and and it's it's that's America, that's America. It's really just some rag, you know, some cloth and some colors. It's not really America. It's a concept that 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 transcends the flag, right? Hmm? Um. So this is your general idea of symbolism. The symbol is actually really different than the ideal that it represents, which is abstract and kind of intangible. And so you try to make it tangible by giving it a shape. But, but in Gaudiya Vedanta, the symbolism idea is different. The symbol actually has something to do with the idea. What does a flag have to do, you know, with it? I mean, it's like <laughs> with a nation. I mean, uh, only as much as you create a meaning to it. But the world inherently has some meaning. Humanness, human life, the Leela, uh, human life is like the human, like the Leela. Hmm? And Krishna's human like. And, and so... There's something that the, in the world, hmm, and 
about our lives that corresponds with the reality in, because it's derived. Hmm? And this is a way in which Gaudivedanta posits meaning in the world, value in the world, when seen as a reflection. Because then there's so many ways that you can draw on it, take advantage, and so forth, to realize that um, the pure form of it, if you will, the, the, that from which it's derived. Hmm? Like sometimes examples given of a reflection. You look at a reflection, everything's there. It just turned backwards. So you have to turn it around. So instead of being self-centered and thinking oneself to be this American man, woman, Indian, bird, cat, dog, insect, hmm? thinking I'm an atma, hmm? I'm a unit of consciousness, I have a source, I should move in relation to serving the source, that's my position, and so, so forth. So that's the chain. Otherwise, everything's the same. Therefore, when Krishna... Uh, saved Nanda Maharaj from Varuna underwater and Varuna, the god of the waters, paid respect to Krishna and his father saw it. He thought, wow, Krishna's special, I guess. So when they came above above uh, the, uh, the, the, the water, then he told the rest of the inhabitants of Vrindavan what happened and they said, wow, Krishna's got some special powers. Can you tell us, Krishna, about our next life, what it'll be like? And he showed them. It'll be like this, like it is now. It'll be like that. Hmm? He showed them the Golok. Hmm? It's a lesson in that for us, that uh, that it will be like that, but it will be Krishna-centered. Hmm? And it, that will make, make it entirely different. Hmm? All the problems are taken out. Hmm? And therefore, there's no problem even with the bad. Do you understand? what might be morally bad. There's no problem with it. Hmm? Because the real problem is self-centeredness, selfishness. And everybody in the world agrees that selfishness is bad and unbecoming. Everyone agrees. So we're not teaching anything that everybody doesn't agree with. We just want to take it to the limit. Hmm? To end all selfishness. How we do that? Politically, through communism? Good luck. It didn't work. Hmm? Hmm? And, 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 and it was in the socialist, communist perspective. Is it the cost of one's um, individuality? You get the group, but you lose your individuality. Hmm? And in capitalism, you get your individuality, but you lose the group. Hmm? Right? You're competing with everybody. <laughs> Everybody's uh, <yeah>. <laughs> at <laughs> odds with one another. Hmm? So Gaudi Vedanta wants to say, like, you take the capitalism the best and the socialism the best and put them together. And you have the group, and within the context of the group, the, con- the, 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 the consensus, all for Krishna, hmm? Hmm. then there can be so many, but individuality because he's Rasaraj. Because the center can take all, all types, all the types of enjoyment that you want. He's the center of all that. Hmm? The whole range of emotional life and so forth, which is our life. Emotional life is the life. This is another important point. Hmm? 
from the Vedanta perspective, our emotional life derives, it plays out in the mind, hmm? but it derives from consciousness itself. This would be true also in Advaita Vedanta, that because of the touch of consciousness, subtle matter takes on a quasi-consciousness-like condition hmm? and an emotional life is created. Hmm? But their idea is that when you transcend that emotional life, then there is no emotional life. But the very thing that brought about the emotional life, consciousness, wouldn't it be more reasonable to conclude it has the power for emotional life? Hmm? That's the bhakti perspective. Here, a part of that emotional life is, is expressing itself in relation to matter. When it expresses itself in relation to itself, that we call lila. And the full range of, of human emotions and all that, you know, it, it's like, it, it, what is lila like? It means, and they lived happily ever after. <laughs> right? Hmm? It's every feel-good movie, you know. Put together, and there's there, there's there, there's there's not this, you know, more accurate depiction of existential angst and what's the term for the modern movies? Postmodern. Postmodern, you know, perspective like, huh, was there any meaning in that, or like, it was kind of different meaning, and I don't know, and ugh. yeah, see, that's what life's like, <laughs> right? And that's why I would like to be a transcendentalist. That I might, go, that I might, you know, it's all, it's all relative, and uh, this happened here, you know, those kind of movies. So it's, it's like every feel-good movie, you know, and and the good guys win, and there's only good guys, and so on and so forth. Hmm? At the same time, someone might say, "Well, if you were happy all the time, how would you know it?" In other words, without feeling unhappiness, then how would you know what has happened? Some people make the argument, the nature of the bliss of prayam is such that it's full and it's always increasing at the same time. And there is the viraha, separation in the lila. So it has both sides, both banks of the river, both the high tide and the low tide of the union, and then a sense of separation from Krishna and union, and both are blissful. Hmm? Hmm. Here, the separation is painful, and enough union, and it becomes painful too, and we want some separation. <laughs> it's not like that with Krishna. Hmm? No one wants separation, but it comes to enhance. Hmm? The, the 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 feeling of union, it serves the union. The separation is part of the lila. Krishna disappears behind a tree for a moment, hmm? and the cowherds feel separation, and then the union again. Hmm? Hmm? So, as you can see, it's thought of in this way for good reason. That this world is a reflection of that. It's a, there is a symbolism here. Mm, so to speak. Mm. But the symbol is not just like a flag that doesn't have anything to do with the world. It it's actually has something to do with that world. Mm. Mm. 
it's a reflection of it. It looks like it. Hmm? Looks like it. You have to look close. It's called aprakrita. It's like the prakrita, like material world, but it's 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 not quite. It's different. Quite different, actually. Hmm? And again, everyone lives happily ever after. Hmm? Something like that. And so, the Mahabharat. Hmm? This is another aspect of the Mahabharata. One aspect is it's teaching the moral good. Hmm? And in the context of teaching the moral good, it also points out, to some extent, how that's a real gnarly issue, you know, and, 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 and it has to be determined also with Scripture and with reason given different times and different circumstances, what is the good thing to do? And whatever the good thing is, there's going to be some bad that comes with it. But anyway, it's the best we could. So that all comes out in there. Hmm? Mm -hmm. And it teaches basic moral principles and shows how the moral principles are turned into moral laws at different times and different circumstances. My guru used to give the example sometimes that the scriptures are like law books by which the law is determined. And that used to have a really like, when we were young, a really like, whoa, yeah, that sounds great. We've got the law books here, you know. Um, so uh, you kind of get this kind of black and white security. There are rights and there are wrongs. That's good to know. And here the scriptures are an absolute good. But if you look closely at the analogy, you see, well, there's more to it than what he's saying than that. Hmm? The law books are there, but the law is determined on an ongoing basis. When we say, Your Honor, the law said this at this date, and at that date it said this, and these circumstances said that. Therefore, in these particular circumstances, I think the law should say this. And the opposing attorney says, well, I cite the law this, this, and I think, and a new law is written, right? And a determination is made in every circumstance. Like so, it's a the scripture is is a, is a, is dynamic, hmm? and the 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 small g moral good is determined on an ongoing basis with time and circumstance and different situations and so forth. There's a moral principle, and then there are the moral laws which can change. Hmm? And so this is one thing, one part of the Mahabharata, right? And then, as I said, the Gita, which takes it to a transcendental level. But there's another aspect of the Mahabharata, too, which is that the players in it, the Pandavas, the principal players, they love Krishna. Mm -hmm. Hmm? Right. Hmm? They love Krishna. So you can become attached to Arjun, to Yudhisthira. This guy's right. He's, he's got it together. Yeah, hmm? yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and you can get bhakti even without reading the Gita. Hmm? You can develop some affinity for 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 Krishna's devotees. Hmm? Mm -hmm. Hmm? Something like that. So it's very special. And Leela, Leela again. You know, you can look at the Mahabharata. And say, oh, that's a little crazy. You know, or 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 I don't know about that. You know, in today's world, Gandhari had you know a hundred sons and and hit her stomach or something like that. A hundred sons came out and and. And so it on. A, yeah, it was a very interesting process. Yeah, <laughs> but it's not to be looked at, uh, you know, in contrast to to you know, 
how we do things. It, it's to be looked at for its deeper mm-hmm. message and teaching and, and the perspective of the Gandhari. What was her perspective? How, what, what was her ideal in life and so forth that made her or whomever look at certain things which we think would be really important as to be less important? Hmm? It's an acknowledgement there in the book, people are going to die. Hmm? Yeah. That's a big one right there. That's a book's written in an entirely different way. It accepts from the beginning that everybody's going to die. Mm-hmm. And so there's a higher principle involved throughout the book, right? It's pervading the book. There's something called liberation to be attained. Mm-hmm. Mukti, mm-hmm. so So it casts then everything in this world in a certain light of relativity and 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 so we don't make the same effort towards material perfection and ultimately as I said towards ending death hmm? um, in the way that the materialist implicitly does hmm? uh, in all forms of life what is it? Try to live forever right? Try to live forever. It's, uh, it's, uh, it is possible. This is the great news of the Vedanta. It's possible. What you want, oh, it's a big affirmation. You can have it. It can be realized. Hmm? So Leela, Leela is teaching also in, 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 on different levels. Hmm? It's teaching moral lessons. It's teaching philosophical lessons. And without teaching it, it's conveying... A, a, a sanskar impressions mm-hmm. for loving Krishna. Mm-hmm. Hmm? That's why you can just read the Lila without any philosophy, just become attached to the stories, and it will be good for you. Hmm? Mm-hmm. It will play out in due course in you, be, in you becoming uh, morally concerned and, and applying philosophically. Uh, so, but in its beginning... Hmm? Therefore, it said sometimes just, just if you just read the leelas about Krishna, then uh, you'll develop prem. Yes, there's a process; it takes time, hmm? mm-hmm. but uh, but this is it ha- has such power. Hmm? So this is kind of the invisible power of the stories. Sometimes we'll emphasize the philosophical power or, or implications more, or the moral implications and tell them, you know, this is the implication, this is the meaning, and, and, and so on. Like the philosophical implications of the Leela that you mentioned, Draupadi, being disrobed in the public assembly, and then later asking Krishna, why did you, you know, you're God, you know, like, why did you put me in that situation? And why didn't you save me? He said, well, I know I gave you an unlimited sorry, but yeah, but why did I, was I there in the first place? Krishna says, well, I was busy in Dwarka, you know, there was this city of, of, of a demon, you know, Maya, whatever, circling over there. I, I was pretty preoccupied with that. And yeah, But that's no excuse. You're God. You could be everywhere. You could do everything at once. Hmm? He says, it's true. Yes, it's true. And, and, and I was doing something there. Hmm? And what was I doing? Hmm? I was showing that if you, have, if you are my devotee, like you are, Draupadi. And you are in difficulty. Hmm? And you hold up one hand and say, Govinda, help me. Hmm? I might help. 
But if you let go of your sorry and stop trying to depend on me to some extent and on yourself to some extent and put both hands up, then I'll supply you with an unlimited sorry. Hmm? And I want to teach, use you, my devotee, to teach all the devotees this lesson. Hmm? So this is the real answer. I used you hmm, to teach all my devotees. Hmm? Sometimes I put my devotees in difficult situations. Hmm? And they may ask me why you did that. Hmm? But ultimately they don't blame me. Hmm? They love me. Hmm? She may ask and wonder and complain, but she's never going to give him up. Hmm? Never, never. Hmm? So his devotees are like that. Therefore, he's able to put them in situations in the context of the Leela by which he can teach us how to become a devotee, what is the virtues of it, and so on and so forth. Hmm? So we see the whole life of the Pandavas, Draupadi, their husbands, and so forth. There were so many difficulties. Why did Krishna put them in all those difficulties? He could have just, you know, why did there even have to be the war? The, so that is Leela. And through that he's teaching and we learn from that. And so through through the way he interacts with his devotees, in terms of his own wisdom, then there are so many philosophical truths that come out that we can take to heart and apply in our practice. Both hands up. <laughs> Something like that. She was holding on to her sari, and they were trying, in public they were trying to disrobe her. She was calling Govinda, and it was looked like she was running out of sorry. So she said, what can I do? Completely depend on Krishna. Put both hands up, and suddenly, the more they pulled her sorry, the more sorry there was. Hmm. And they were the sorry ones. Hmm. They were in some sorry. Hmm. They were some. They remained as some sarins. <laughs> and, and and she was liberated. Yeah. So. Draupadi, she is uh, Purisambandi. She loves Krishna like a friend in Sakyarasa of the city version. There's a village version and a city version. Hmm? Mm-hmm. So she and Krishna were just friends, not like the gopis. They were just friends. That's a big, big friends. What's the time? Long question, deserved a long answer, right? I, Practically, that, you gave a lecture that, with, that, with your question. That, 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 was, uh, <laughs> that hit my heart right on the mark. Thank good, so good, good. Thank you for bringing it up. It's 11.30. It's 11.30, okay. What else? Any, what's, what's your name? I'm Cassie. Cassie, welcome. Cassie. Cassie, right? Cassie. Cassie. Yeah, Cassie, short for Cassandra. Cassandra, Cassie. Nice to meet you. Mm. Came with Tarun. Yes. Tarun came with you. <laughs> Good. Haven't seen you for a while. Yeah, a nice to have you here. Great to be here. Yeah. And a bye. You probably haven't seen a bye in a while, huh? Yeah, it's been a while for a bye. Right. I guess I saw you when you were in Portland, so not, not, not super long ago. You saw me in Portland? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was the last time I saw you. How long are you here for a bye? Sunday. Okay, good. Good. It's been a while since you've been here, huh? Yeah, it's been a lot. Too long since I've been here. It's been really great. A few years, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah. And welcome. Howdy ball. Did you just get here? I did. Okay. You brought a friend. I did. This time. What's your name? Arthur. Arthur? Nice to meet you. Please come. Make, make some room. There's a chair if you would prefer to sit in a chair. Either of you. We've been chatting for some time now. We've got about a few more minutes. We can continue before the next uh, function, which is Kirtan in the temple and the Festival of Lights, Arctic. Any other questions? Yes. So yesterday I was asking or Ananda Mayi about decorating the temple and I asked if we could use peacock feathers and Ananda Mayi said that I think Sean said <laughs> that you said <laughs> <laughs> that we shouldn't use peacock feathers to decorate the temple here because those are from Vrindavan and this is and I didn't quite understand the no, no no I never said that no um, the idea is that Chaitanya Mahabra was Krishna, right? The extension of Krishna for the for the Leela of his uh, Gaur Leela and so forth. But he is Krishna in a different mood, right? In the mood of Radha. So he doesn't wear a peacock feather. He's trying to become Radha. Hmm? So, but his Leela is all about Krishna Leela, meditating on Krishna Leela, pursuing it, singing about it, chanting about it, so on and so forth. Hmm? So it's filled with um, with it's saturated with Krishna Leela hmm? from the perspective of the devotee. So as much as Vrindavan is uh, um, Decorated with peacock feathers, you can you can decorate the temple with peacock feathers. Are you finding them here and there? Some, but I, I encountered some in the jari room. So yeah, yeah, they can be used for decorating the temple. Okay. That will remind. Yeah, that will remind Chaitanya Mahaprabhu of Vrindavan mm-hmm. and of Krishna. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else? I was reading um, the part in your book about the new one, about um, Kali Yuga. And I wonder if you could say a little more about... Um, <laughs> I said quite a bit there. <laughs> well, it was interesting, because I find myself I have um, the tendency sometimes to want to like make sure things light up rationally before I... Good idea. You know, go forward and step on you know that ground. But um, and then in your appendix, after that part, or the footnotes, or whatever you call them, you, you actually listed like three really good ways that people could rationalize with that. 
um, including like the multiverse one. How, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I was wondering if you could say a little more, like, because that's not what the ideal way to do is. Say, oh, well, this makes sense. Like, we should be able to not look at those. And and I think you said more like, yeah, I wonder if you could say more about the correct way to, um, I guess, go about with faith on, on the Kelly part and look at that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or anything like that. Yeah. Any such topics. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that um, it's important to understand the limits of our rational faculty in terms of its being a, a vehicle for knowing. Mm-hmm. This is a very central uh, point to the philosophy. Um, and um, I think that spirituality aside, there are a number of philosophical perspectives which would um, say a similar thing about the um, limitations of, well, rational empiricism, hmm? rational empiricism, rationalism, hmm? um, and um, uh, logic and so forth, and the difference between logic and truth. Hmm? Um, I don't know how to do it, but you can prove that, that, that two and two are not four. I know it can be done. Um, I know a person that does it regularly in, in, in his classroom presentations and so forth, just to show the relativity of, of such. The Vedanta says, Tarko Apatishtanat, that by, by reason alone... Uh, one cannot get any firm uh, standing in in truth because every reason can be, um, how would you say, um, replaced by another reason endless, endlessly. Um, and therefore, if we are to arrive at a an absolute truth, then the rational faculty unto itself is not a suitable uh, vehicle for um, for arriving there, for attaining that. Um, I think that that's this is a very uh, very strong point that at the same time does not deny our rational faculty, but seeks to employ our rational faculty in relation to a transrational method of knowing. Hmm? Um, for example, uh, let's say chanting as we do uh, names of God. It's not a rational exercise. It's a, we would call it a transrational exercise. That doesn't mean it's irrational to do it. Hmm? But it's rational to conclude that reason has its limits in terms of affording us perfect knowing. Hmm? We want perfect knowledge so that our actions can be perfectly informed and therefore we can become perfectly happy. Hmm? So um, if we want perfect knowledge, we have to have a perfect method to attain it. Hmm? And reason unto itself is an imperfect method. We would say that the, the folding your hands is the perfect 
method hmm? that it's that it's that the nature if there is a truth hmm? if there is a perfection hmm? then I will not be able to arrest that if you will capture that in the fist of my intellect which itself is part of my present imperfection it's one of the faculties that I have reason I have senses uh, and so forth and and they're not affording me perfect knowing hmm? Hmm. I'm experiencing a longing for perfection uh, whether I call it that or not hmm? whether I realize that and I think everyone is constantly striving to attain perfect knowledge by which they can become perfectly happy. Hmm? And, um, you know, how, how close are we getting, you know, to that and so forth. So, the, you know, I mean, it's just throughout, you know, everybody likes to see the swish, you throw the basketball and swish, it doesn't even touch the rim. Ah, you know, or the Olympic guy, he goes one ten thousandth of a second faster, and it's like celebrated. Hmm? Right? Hmm? Um, and he gets the gold medal, and we hope somebody will become one ten thousandth of a second faster, you know, the next year, and so forth. So this this is what I mean by the world is, is striving for a a a a, a perfection that exceeds their present limitations. Hmm? The material embodiment, which includes the, our psychology and so forth, is, is a limitation on our self. The self seeks to know itself, and it, it actually transcends all the limitations of the world, but it's covered by our identification with the world. So this is... So we all... In one way or another, we are seeking uh, perfection, or to or to transcend, go beyond our present limitations, that our lives may become more perfect. You can go faster now, or whatever it is, right? Um, um, again, like in movies, you know, you want, it's, it's just a movie. Everybody lives happily ever after. It doesn't really happen like that, but. It's a movie. We want it to happen like that. We, 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 we sense that it should be like that. Hmm? So our present situation is one of, of some lack. We feel some lack. Otherwise, why would we move at all? Hmm? If we were full and complete, done, hmm? why move? We're moving out of incompleteness in pursuit of complete completing the picture perfecting ourselves hmm? if we agree with this kind of reasoning see I said there's a place for reasoning to use it then we can conclude that the perfection by its very nature perfection will not arise within imperfection or within imperfect means it has a life unto itself. 
within perfection, by its very nature and definition, there is no imperfection. Hmm? And conversely, within imperfection, by its very definition, perfection is lacking. Hmm? So, as much as imperfection cannot arise within perfection, for it to be perfect, similarly, perfection cannot arise within imperfection. Hmm? If the use another example you're familiar with. If the finite wants to know the infinite, how is it possible for the finite to know the infinite? It's mathematically kind of impossible. But if the infinite chooses to reveal itself to the finite, then out of its infinite capacity, it becomes possible for the finite to do something that it couldn't otherwise. Hmm? So this is the their idea of bhakti, that for the comprehensive knowing that we would like to arrive at, by which we can be perfectly happy, we have to have a perfect method. Hmm? And the perfect method is a descending one. The per- perfection makes itself available to us hmm? on its own terms. It can be known. Hmm? And so these transrational exercises of meditation and chanting these are these these are exercises that have been given in this in the sacred texts hmm? uh, deriving from from the sound that the world is grounded in hmm? it's like they say in string theory the world is grounded in sound and vibration hmm? so the vedas agree they say there there are sounds at the ground of the world hmm? different types of sounds sounds that make it go round and sounds that can bring an end to the to the to the ferris wheel hmm? the samsara hmm? the ups and downs the material life round and round we can't go back we can only look from from where we came <laughs> and go round and round and round but no, she was right to some extent, but no, we can go. We can go beyond. Hmm? Not from within itself. Hmm? I'm sorry, will not be transcended within itself, but with help from outside, so to speak, from outside of the circle. Hmm? So, so, some sounds are at the are the at the ground, if you will, or the the foundation of how the world works and moves and so forth. I've given the example in other places. Just like there are there's mathematics built into the world. Some mathematicians believe that humans invent mathematics. Some mathematicians and the majority of them believe that mathematics are discovered. Hmm? They're part of nature. They're discovered. Hmm? And, and 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 tell us how it, it it works and so forth. So as there are mathematical equations embedded in nature, it has order, structure, and so on and so forth. Hmm? So mantra is a similar idea. It's a formula of sound, hmm? actually. Hmm? It has a corresponding reality with it. 
Mm. And you can see that sounds have form. Well, it depends who you are. Not everybody can see that sounds have form. Some musicians can see notes, and and you can you can do experiments with sound and make a sound and put something on the table, make a sound, and it will form a mandala, mm-hmm. Hmm? Mm-hmm. a geographic, a, a kind of sacred geography. Hmm? Mm-hmm. Hmm? So sound has 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 shape, hmm? has form. Hmm? The world is a sound. Mm-hmm. That's what we're saying. And there are sounds, while there is a sound that makes it go round, there's a sound that can stop it from going around for you. Hmm? You can stop here and get off. Get off here. Hmm? That's the sound of Krishna's flute. Hmm? That's the idea. Hmm? Gayatri, ganat triate, the sound gana triate, by which we be delivered hmm, from this samsara means going round and round, chasing the tail only, chasing your tail, hmm, as if if I caught it, it would mean something, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can't even catch it. <laughs> what to speak? Even if you did, it would be meaningless. It's not what you think it would be. Hmm? The world is constantly presenting an appetizer of perfection and there's never a full meal. Hmm. So we just end up with indigestion. Hmm. So there are transrational methods given in the sacred texts and the sacred texts also, what these are, these texts are, are persons who... in meditation, heard the sounds hmm? and then elaborated upon them. That's what the Upanishads are. Hmm? They heard the sounds. They elaborated upon them. Hmm? And um, and so, my point is that there's a, there's a trans-rational way of arriving at perfect knowledge and reason unto itself cannot Give us the full picture. It it will be um, every reasoning can be supplanted with another reasoning. You could say that about what I'm saying, and I say yes, yeah, we're right. So, reasoning is is a limited way of knowing. This is very hard to digest hmm? uh, because we're thinking that that by reason we know, hmm? and it's true that we do know certain things. Empiricism, observation. And if you want to add reason to that as well, it's often thought of being the, the way of knowing definitively and a departure from that is what they call faith. Hmm? But we look at it very, very, very differently. First of all, there is no reasoning that supports the premise that empirical observation is the most comprehensive way of knowing. Reason cannot support that premise. Hmm? What we do find from observation and reasoning about observation in a particular way hmm, is that we're able to 
measure certain small part of the of existence and 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 derive some pragmatic thought thought to be pragmatic result from it hmm? in relation to our sense of who we are i'm a human i'm a man i'm a woman hmm? whether that's true or not whether that's the whole picture that's a whole other thing but if i'm steeped in that conception of myself and then i observe create certain conditions like we do in science to observe something about nature and then I take that some fact that I gather there put it in the hands of a technician then he creates something pragmatic hmm? then we think hey we're getting somewhere in terms of comprehensive knowing and understanding hmm? now we've got medicine instead of voodoo you know <laughs> And so less people are dying and so forth. So there is this sense that there's a progress of knowledge and and uh, and, uh, and life is becoming better and so forth and so on. But but whether you're you're seeing the whole picture is you ever see Flatland? You read the book Flatland. You know, it's a guy lives in two dimensions and encounters a three-dimensional world and. It's weird, and nobody believes in it, but he sees it, and you know, and so on and so forth. So, there are creatures that live in a two-dimensional world, right? They have no idea. I mean, what a three-dimensional world is is as much as a fantasy as as what some three-dimensional people think the religious world is when we talk about it, multi-dimensional and and so forth. So, you you kind of have to, I think. Um, to answer your question, really, to, you have to like really become convinced as to the limitations of reasoning. But then you may say, still, okay, but you said it has some application for knowing. And so we may find out something about the world hmm, that um, is observable and appears to be true that doesn't coincide with something that's said in the sacred texts about the world. Hmm? And so, now what? Then we have to look and see what the sacred text is saying, why it's saying that, how it's employing that, which is what I've tried to, you know, weigh in on on that, in that, on that chapter. And as well say, well, there may be rational ways to think about that and, 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 and confirm from a literal point of view. But the, the whole point is that, that these, these sacred texts are not trying to do that hmm? they're trying to take us beyond the literal beyond the um, beyond even thought hmm? uh, beyond history uh, and so forth uh, so uh, I would you know try to think along those lines that what you can ascertain by reasoning however true it rings it's only part of a whole whole picture and if you what the picture might look like what that might look like that part that you think is the whole if the picture expands and you see more might look very different than it does from your present uh, vantage point hmm? and so they're competing ways of knowing hmm, in the world if you will, there's a spiritual way of knowing and and pursuing 
understanding is the material way, and we're in the material world. So that material way of knowing is is, is really promoted, and and there's and there's there's um, results that are giving given. Like like I said, medicine. Hey, cures diseases. Of course, you know, keep going with it. And now there's a, a lot of thought as to well, if medicine isn't really isn't really uh, if 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 curing disease and 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 getting medicine really doesn't lie in the hands of farmers hmm? more than you know somebody else in a lab hmm? and growing food you know in 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 ways that are different than the industrialized world has come to grow food which is thought well it's going to feed more people well maybe we don't need more people maybe we, maybe that's a whole other thing maybe we're making people hmm? without thinking about a bigger picture, and therefore we got too many. Hmm? Try to tell the average American, okay, now everyone can only have one child, you know. They would, they would totally revolt. I'm not saying that, but but child-rearing, bearing, and rearing and so forth may not be everything it's made out to be. It's great, but it's there may be more to life than that. There may be more other things that are important, that that's part of it. And without seeing that, that other part, then it becomes the whole thing and everything becomes distorted around that. And so therefore, just to have kids is great. You know, I mean, and then that's, your life is perfect. And have more, you know. And, and meanwhile, there's not enough food. And, and so then we create artificial ways to make food and then the kids get sick and then, you know, and so on. So, I mean, it's, I'm not, I don't have all the answers to these things and so forth, but I can tell you this, that the spiritual perspective presented in the Vedanta does solve um, those types of problems hmm? um, by saying that, for example, he uses a Zen phrase, that more is, uh, is uh, less is more. Hmm? I mean, that's, that's not really a rational idea, that, that less is more, but it's a true idea. It's a, it's 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 true. So you kind of have to um, beat your 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 reasoning power and kind of put it in its place, rather than be manipulated by it. Hmm? Just like we may be manipulated by our senses, ears pull us one way, the tongue pulls us another way. The urge of the stomach says one thing. Enough. The tongue says more. And so we're 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 in the middle of the war of the urges of the senses in the body, and it's just disconcerting. Hmm? So yeah, so to come out from underneath that, um, it's obvious, but it, it would would be a good idea. But reasoning is also a material force just like the senses are, but it's a more subtle force. It's more refined and subtle. So the more the, the material hierarchy becomes subtler and subtler. So we acknowledge a physical form of matter and a psychic form of matter. So the psychic form of matter is more subtle than the gross physical form of matter. And it's in that sense, it's kind of more like our self, which is not material at all. Hmm? In other words, look at the difference between the mental realm and the physical realm. 
and the possibilities that lie. If I say to you, um, Abai, I want you to pick up everything on the deck here and take it down to the temple in one trip. <laughs> You're going to look at me and go, physically, that's impossible. Hmm? But if if you could, but mentally you could do it, right? Mentally you could remember everything and collect it all and take it down there. Hmm? So the possibilities that lie in the mind are far greater than the possibilities that lie in the physical world. The physical world, you can have gold and you can have a mountain. It's pretty hard to find a gold mountain, a mountain of gold. Hmm? That's only in the storybooks. That means it's in the mind. Hmm? You can say it's just in the mind. Well, everything's in the mind. Hmm? What is a stone? It's an idea. Hmm? It's a conception. Everything that we think we know, think everything that we think of is a thought. Everything is a thought. Do you understand? Hmm. Couch. It's a thought that I that that gives a name to. Anyway, you understand my point. Everything is a thought. Hmm. From our perspective, the, the physical matter comes out of the psychic matter. The psychic matter has a certain power because of the touch of consciousness. What is the touch? They want to say, what is the touch? Where is the touch? We can't see the touch. Because you're thinking of the touch in terms of physical. The touch has to be physical. You're thinking everything is physical. So you need, if, in other words, without touch, there's no motion. Hmm? That's why Newton, when he started the weigh-in on gravity, they thought, oh, the guy's become an occultist again. We thought we were getting away from that. Hmm? Because gravity was some invisible force that caused motion without physical contact, with one object contacting another. Hmm? And, and, and so, but, but, you know, he posited that there's something called gravity, right? Hmm? And there is, but... <laughs> so, to take it to another level, you, you want to know what is the connection between consciousness and matter. If there's something called consciousness and matter, and consciousness moves matter, as we feel it does, hmm? then where's the physical connection? Well, you're asking for something that doesn't exist. Consciousness isn't physical. There is no physical connection between matter and consciousness. But conscious, you have to understand the nature of consciousness to understand how it can move matter. Hmm? How thought, which is a reflection of consciousness, can move, can move matter. Hmm? That we call the paranormal, right? Hmm? So... So I think that you have to understand the limits of reason and observation in terms of comprehensive knowing. And it's good that your faith should be rational hmm? to a point. Hmm? But there has to be a point where you realize reason uh, uh 
has its limitations. And that's why, if we accept that, then we acknowledge that there is another form of knowing that's comprehensive that may not match up with my reasoning entirely, but is reasonable to posit that such a thing exists. If there is to be the comprehensive knowing, the perfect knowing that everyone seeks, it must be. And so the Upanishads, for example, are, they, they claim themselves to be such. Are they or not? Well, if you apply them, then you're going to get a very interesting um, result. You're going to get a kind of knowing that um, has the power to retire the intelligence's need to arrest things and capture them. It's a, it's a measurement. Hmm? Maya is a Sanskrit word that means illusion. It also means to measure, to bring it within the grasp, the fist of our intellect, know it. Hmm? Which means that, which, which puts an intellect above, above everything. Hmm? But that's, that's, that's folly to think like that. Hmm? That's not possible. Hmm. Intelligence, reason doesn't have that um, that capacity, so it's reasonable to come to that conclusion. That's where you, that's that's where that's what faith is. Faith is not the absence of reason; it's the end of reason. Where reason ends, faith comes in. Hmm? Reason is actually beautified, ornamented when it becomes an assistant of faith. Hmm? When you begin to reason as to the limits of reason and as to the power of, uh, of faith and, and descending knowing, hmm? transrational way of knowing, then reason becomes very beautiful. Hmm? We're using reason like that now. Reason like that now. We're using it. Rather than being used by it, so we can be used by our senses. That's problematic. They take us in one direction, two directions at the same time, hmm? often. But the fact that we're used by our intellect is harder to detect hmm? because it's more subtle. Hmm? But it's very unbecoming, actually, to be used by your intellect hmm? and therefore function in such a way as if everything has to match up to your intellect, otherwise it doesn't count. It's not. It's not real. It's a, that's a, a very um, irrational way of looking at things. I would say um, it's not a well, very well uh, thought out. And there's a big place for reasoning. Obviously, we're using it, using it here. Hmm. But um, but we again we accept for perfect knowing there has to be a perfect method. It has to come from outside of imperfection. That's what we call revelation. Hmm. And this revelation that we speak of, it comes through meditation. And it's been, re- then the insights have been recorded. That's what we call the Upanishads. Hmm. And, and you can believe it or not, but if you apply yourself in it, you get some experience. And the experience is, it transcends anything that you could experience mentally, centrally, intellectually in your pursuit of happiness hmm. and knowing. Hmm. Perfect knowing isn't knowing everything. Perfect every detail. Perfect knowing is 
that you're content, that your, your intellect has now been satisfied. Do hmm? you understand? We think that perfect knowing is to know everything. No. But perfect knowing is to, is to um, appease the intellect. How can you appease the intellect? You have to give it more than it can chew on. Hmm? The transrational exercises are such. So that you come to a point where the intelligence just goes, hey, you know, I'm working overtime, you know, and I'm not getting anywhere. I don't have to do that anymore. Hmm? And now I can just think and reason how to serve best in any given situation, not whether or not I should serve, whether there's anybody to serve. Maybe I'm in charge. Maybe there is nobody else. Maybe there's only me. Maybe I mean I don't exist. This is intellect. Good luck with that. <laughs> Good luck with that. Hmm? How many theories of, 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 of mind and body are out there? You know, it's just like un, uh, it's, this is the thing. In Western civilization, at a certain point, historically, reason became unhinged from revelation. Hmm? And one of the reasons, I'll be frank with you, one of the reasons that it became unhinged from Revelation is because the Revelation was not as powerful as the Upanishads. It has power. <laughs> but if you look carefully at the New Testament, the Bible, you're going to find, and you look at the Bhagavad Gita, you're going to find what's really being said in that book, the Bible, is played out in, in, in greater detail in the Bhagavad Gita and the Bhagavatam. The Bible asks us to believe the Bhagavad Gita is, is, is a book about the nature of being. Hmm? Hmm? The Bible's good. I mean, if you just pick it up and read some of the stuff in there, it's good stuff. It says you should love your neighbor like yourself. That's a pretty good idea. Hmm? You might think it's irrational but because my neighbor's a real jerk, but, <laughs> but then again, it's, it's what it's telling you is Inherently, your neighbor and you are one in the sense that you're both consciousness. Hmm? I mean, see how you, you have to develop the idea. Hmm? The Gita, the Bhagavad, the Eastern Revelation, Revelation is developing that idea. Hmm? So the, some, some, some weakness, I would say, hmm, is one thing in Eastern Revelation. And then... At some point, again, philosophy used to be a handmaiden of theology. In fact, theology is basically reasoning about the implications of revelation in an ongoing sense. Hmm? So when you unhinge reasoning from uh, reasoning about the implications of revelation, then you get what's called philosophy, <laughs> independent of revelation. And that means a mind is free to just masturbate itself to death. I just go over it and again and again, several different ways and possibility. And it's endless, endless. There's no end now. There's no end. So, so the philosophy is, that's what it is. 
Therefore, you have people in the scientific community say, we don't need philosophy anymore. That's useless. Hmm. There's many people in the scientific community. Philosophy is a waste of time. Hmm. But then their idea is that by observation, we know philosophy is just speculating about things. Hmm. Of course, what, what can you do? With science, all you can do is produce observations. You have to think about them. <laughs> what they mean. <laughs> what the implications of them are. That's what philosophy is. But anyway, but... But but philosophy, unhinged from revelation, is is just this mind, endlessly, you know. And there's no end to that. Tarko never began. I was as we began in answering Christ. pratishtana. There's no firm standing. There's no real firm ground. Any idea can be replaced with another idea, with another idea, with another idea. And someone says, so Swami, your idea can replace with another idea. I said, yep, that's right. That's what we're saying. Hmm? That's what we're saying. We're using reasoning, but we're saying it's not a perfect vehicle. Hmm? Hmm. And if you say, well, I don't think that's perfect reasoning. We say, well, then you see, you're saying what we're saying. You agree. Hmm? Hmm. So there must be a limit to that. Hmm? what you can arrive at in terms of knowing with reason. This is our belief. This is our faith. Now you tell me if that faith is irrational. That's the core of our faith. Hmm? We use reasoning to, to arrive at it. Hmm? And I would say this is the fullness of the, the exercise of, 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 of rational exercise to understand its limitations. Hmm? And then who's crazy? Those who say there is no perfect knowledge but pursue it implicitly anyway, or those who say there is perfect knowledge and pursue it in an out-of-the-box way, as we were saying earlier. Hmm? So, I mean, you've heard these things, but um, I sympathize with your addiction there for the... Mm-hmm. To, but but it's, good, it's a good thing to want your faith to be rational. Within limits, yes, it should be, should be rational. And then there are, you know, again, um, there are some things... In the sacred texts, they have a context um, when they would manifest, how they talked about the world at those times. The world's always changing. That's another thing. What you think to be, you know, rational and right and true now, in in 100 years, people think you were nuts to have thought like that. Hmm? I mean, if you just look at the history of the world, that's pretty much how it it works. Hmm? You have to look and not judge previous times by the present time, but by their own time. Hmm? Who was great in their own time is great. Not that we will measure their greatness by the standards of today of knowing. And incidentally, knowledge about the material world is unlimited. Hmm? So there will always be new things to know about the material world. Hmm? Always new. Hmm? And things will also move in cycles. where conservatism will become hmm, the dominant and then liberalism and then and, and so forth. And so because it's the world is rehashing the same things again and again and again, the same ideas that are never conclusive again and again. So so there are that said that there are aspects of the sacred texts that are expendable 
also. They're not, they're part of the, of, an, of, a, of a higher, a larger argument that be employed in different times based on perspectives about the world at that time. Hmm. If they, the world changes and the perspective differs, and a different idea becomes dominant and popular, that it works like this or something like that, then we can work with that too. Hmm. It doesn't do away with the point that the particular um, insight about the world, in this case about time, hmm, whether it's linear or secular, for example. In, in, uh, for centuries, it was thought that time was cic- cyclical. Hmm? Then with the advent of Christianity and the scientific revolution, it was thought that time is linear. Hmm? But if you look carefully now, people are coming around again. <laughs> and there's many people looking, even from a scientific point of view, looking at it from a cyclical point of view and so forth. So, I mean, you know... Bhaktivinoda's position is the world is constantly changing. Empirically, we may deduce this as a fact. And, okay, it doesn't change how we've, uh, our core understanding, and that fact, so-called, may change, too. Hmm? Who knows, you could say. And the material laws are like this, and Pujapachita Marsh used to say, and, and Krishna can change the laws, and then they discover, oh, it's like this. I mean, for that matter, how are many of the laws discovered? How was the law of gravity discovered? Observation. Somewhat by observation. Observation to a point where some inspiration and intuition came. Mm-hmm. And kind of like observed, 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 and it's like, oh, i got to go to bed. <laughs> and then the night and the dream, an epiphany. Hmm? Edison was with his... All the, yeah, the, the, you, you see. So there's, what is intuition? It's, it's not rational. Hmm? The majority of the things that we consider great insights and so forth, they're, 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 intuition plays a huge part hmm? in the lives of the discoverers, if you will, of the things about the world. And where is that intuition? What is intuition? Where does it come from? Hmm? How do you know we're not living, as they say now, it's become a popular idea, in a simulated reality, right? In a matrix. Hmm? Hmm. This idea actually corresponds much with the idea of Vedanta. So the, what is your knowing within that? You understand? That's the, what is your knowing within an illusion, within a matrix? You think you're doing one thing, but you're actually living inside of a box. Hmm. So, better to embrace an idea that's really outside of the box that says you're living in a box. (laughs) Right? And then there are some things that are said there that that may may contradict Hmm. observation. They may they may be relative not essential, or they may be essential and they may seek to tell us that your observations are limited. Hmm? Live with it. Okay? All right.
nights. So nice to talk with you. Yeah. Yeah. So. When your time is. Okay. Go down and there'll be kirtan. That's how you do it in one trip. See the power of the mind.